sermon that I will preach this afternoon is the second of a three-sermon series on Article 12 of the Belgic Confession. Currently, I'm going through the Belgic Confession, and I did a sermon on the beginning part that deals with creation, and then the second sermon, and that's what we have this afternoon about the angels, and a third sermon about the demons. So this afternoon, it's about the angels, and the reading is connected to this, two passages, first from 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 17. This is during the ministry of Elisha as a prophet. Verse 8 of chapter 6, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not come, that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. And therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Similar incident we read in Acts chapter 12, where an angel is used by the Lord to deliver one of his servants. Acts 12, verse 6 through 11, King Herod has arrested the apostle Peter and he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. And then verse 6, And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. 
and the chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Thus far from the book of Acts. Let's turn now to our confession and return to the Belgic Confession to Article 12. On page 503 of our books of praise, page 503. And we'll deal with the first sentence of the second paragraph. In the first paragraph, we confess that God has created all things and he continues to sustain and govern all things by his eternal providence and power. And in the second paragraph, the first sentence he also created the angels good to be his messengers and to serve his elect. And then it continues with those who have fallen, the fallen angels. Thus far, our confession. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I proclaim to you God's word as we confess it in Article 12, and also as we have it in Psalm 91, under this theme, the Lord commands his angels to guard us in all our ways. It comes from verse 11 of Psalm 91. The Lord commands his angels to guard us in all our ways. So in Article 12 of the Belgian Confession, we begin with confessing that God has created all things through the Word that is His Son. He created heaven and earth and all creatures when it seemed good to Him. Now in the Nicene Creed, we also make a point of saying that when God created all things, he not only created the visible things, he also created the invisible things. There are visible creatures, there are invisible creatures. Lord Nicene Creed, the Father, a creator of all things visible and invisible. And this afternoon we'll look at and deal with that invisible creation. That means our eyes cannot see them, and yet they are real. And as the visible creation is amazing, this morning with Psalm 8, we deal with the visible creation. And if you look in the beginning of Article 12, when we speak about God's creation, how he made everything exactly in its form and its shape and its being to serve us so that we may serve our creator, 
everything, every creature has its own shape, being, and form so that it can make glorify our God. And that means that a visible creation manifests the greatness and, and the grandeur of our God. Well, the invisible does too. Although we do not see it, yet also that is reflecting the glory and the power of the God who has made it all. And just because we don't see these creatures does not make them any less real. What we need is the Bible to see them. God in his wisdom deemed it not important for us to see them. But he gives us in his scriptures a vision, an understanding of who they are and what they do. And so after we, in Article 12, speak about the visible creation, we come in the second paragraph to deal with the invisible creation, the angels. And Kira de Bray only spent one sentence about the good angels. He spends a whole lot more on the evil angels, the demons, perhaps also because this was written in a time of persecution where you feel the opposition and the demonic powers so aggressive against the church of Jesus Christ. But that first sentence is about the angels where we read he created them good to be his messengers and to serve his elect. There are three things that are noted here in this one sentence. Number one is that they were created and that they were created good. Uh, when God in Genesis says, behold, it is good after everything he has made, then also this is included. That when he created the angels, he also said it is good. Secondly, they are messengers. And that means somehow they make a connection between heaven and earth. Well, that's what messengers do. They go from one point to another point and they relay information or do other things. And thirdly, they are also called to serve God's elect or to protect them. And that comes from Hebrews and we will look at those elements as well. So three things created good, their connection between heaven and earth, and they are also there to serve God's people. You notice that, that the Belgian Confession is very sober when it comes to this angelic world, this spiritual world. And perhaps we have lots of questions because we're kind of fascinated by it, aren't we? And, and the answer and the questions that we have are not answered here in, in our confession. There's also uh, always a, uh, an, inf an interest in, in all these unseen things and these powers that can be there. But our confession is sober, and not only because the Reformed churches wanted to go away from what had happened in the Middle Ages, where over time these angelic powers were worshipped, where angels were worshipped. And the Reformed Church says that's not right. We worship God, and we do not worship creatures. So we should be very sober when we speak about them. 
That's one reason. But more importantly, the reason why the confession is sober about this is the very fact that the Bible itself is sober about it. Yes, we meet them in the Bible. Somebody counted them, and apparently there are about 300 texts in the Bible where angels are mentioned. But nowhere in the Bible do we read when they were created. Where did it come from? And as to what they look like, we have little bits of information, but no full description. So the Bible itself is very sober. And you may have questions, and I may have questions, of which we have to say, well, we don't know. So we, too, need to be sober as we start about thinking about this part of what we confess that we stay within the boundaries and the limits of Scripture. And that we do not let curiosity push us beyond these limits. And we start to investigate things that really are unprofitable for us. The beginning of the Belsey Confession, uh, Guido de Bray has made very clear as to why we have the Bible and we, we uphold that as well. In our confession, when we say that God has made himself more clearly and fully known to us in his divine word as far as is necessary in this life for his glory and for our salvation. There are many things that we would maybe love to know but will not know because the Bible doesn't speak about it. But God says, what I have given you in the Bible is enough for glorifying me to see who I am and to also see who you are and how you are saved. So we should also be satisfied with the knowledge about the angels, about the invisible realm, that spiritual world. Because whatever we have in the Bible is all that God wanted us to know. And yet, the Bible speaks about them. And so we are allowed to confess that they exist. And we are allowed to speak about what they do. So if we want to listen to Scripture as to what it says about the angels, well, we had two readings this afternoon that give us already a good indication as to what they can do. If you think of what happened to Elisha and his servant and how his servant's eyes were opened, and if you think of Peter, and there, there are more instances in the Bible where we read about them. What we want to do this afternoon is take one passage in the Bible, reflect on that, as it speaks about the angels, and then go back to the summary of uh, the scriptures in the Belgian Confession. And the passage in the Bible that we want to look at is Psalm 91. We sang it already, so we'll go through it together, and if you want to follow me along, it will be helpful to have Psalm 91 in front of you. I took this psalm because in verse 11... It speaks about the angels who are given charge over us to keep us in all our ways. But we want to see these verses within the whole of this psalm. So we'll walk through this psalm. I'd like to take you through it, and then we'll come back to what we learn about the 
angels. Psalm 91, I hope you saw it also and you, ex- you understood it as you sang it, is a psalm that sings about trust that we have in the God who is so almighty, who provides, who protects. It, it, it's a song in which the child of God sings about the security that we have in our God. Just look at verses 1 and 2, where the description of our God is described in four ways. Four words are used to speak about God's protection. First of all, it is a shelter or a secret place. A secret place is a shelter where you can hide Secondly, it is called a shadow. Thirdly, it's called a refuge. And fourthly, God is called my fortress. So four expressions that really want to stress how reliable God is and that we can trust in Him. That secret place, that shelter. And notice that secret place is the place where you dwell. That means that there is a residence there. You, you stay there. Dwelling is not a visit, but you're there to stay. So when you dwell in that refuge, in that secret place that is the most high, you are protected. And you can abide, again, ongoing, abiding, under the shadow of the Almighty. And then you have to keep in mind that in the Middle East, heat can be very difficult. It can zap your strength. And what you need is shade, protection. It's also a little bit like a a bird that puts the wings. There will be an image that comes later on uh, over the little ones, the the shadow. And so we abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And we say to the Lord that He is our refuge Then you think of floods, and you need a high place so that the floods do not sweep you away and the water torrents do not take you along. And God is that refuge, and He is our fortress. And then you think of opposition, of enemies that want to take you down, that want to attack you. So we say God is the one in whom we trust. A beautiful way of opening this psalm and expressing how wonderful a protection we have in our Lord God, the I am who I am. And then in the verses 3 through 6, we hear why we need this. Why is this so important? Well, verse 3 speaks about the snare of the fowler. The fowler is the one who tries to catch a bird and has snares in between the bushes and the trees. And as the birds fly up, they get caught into the net and they get snapped and that will be the end of them. The bird has no idea it flies into them. That's what is around us. That what life at times may seem like and feel like, things come to you and you don't expect them. And suddenly you're in it. And the second part of verse 3, from the perilous pestilence, the sickness that can come and can so quickly come and you don't expect it. 
And what does God do? Verse 4, he covers you with his feathers. And under his wings you find a refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. There you have the image of a bird protecting the little ones, covering them with the feathers, that wing. And keep in mind that in the temple, the wing had a very significant meaning. If you were able to go into the most holy place in the temple where you had the throne of God, the ark, you will see wings of the cherubim, the angels, the bodyguards of God's holiness. And those are the wings of God under which Israel received protection. And under those wings, that's where the atonement blood was sprinkled on the ark of the covenant in front of it. And so... We are protected. And as a result, verse 5, you're not afraid of those things that happen suddenly, the terror of the night, or the arrow that flies by day, an arrow you don't hear coming, and it can hit you just like that. And so difficulties can come just like that. But you're not afraid when you find your shelter under Him. It doesn't mean they won't come to you. The Lord doesn't say, nothing will happen to you. You'll have an easy life, uh, no problems. No, you're not petrified by them. Nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So all these images there describe the frailty of our lives the difficulties that we can face. And that's why we begin this psalm with saying, what you need is protection. What you need is a refuge. And when you have this with the Lord, then indeed in verse 7 and 8, then you have that, that sense of I belong to Him and I'm safe. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It shall not come near you. You shall only look at it with your eyes and you will see the reward of the wicked. And why is that? Why is that? And then in verse 9 and 10, you see the person come in. It speaks about you. Why do you have this? Because you have made the Lord your refuge. You have made the Most High your dwelling place. And therefore no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. What that means is, because you hold on to Him. Because you say, He is my refuge. He is my dwelling place. He watches over you. He guards you. He protects you. And how does He do that? Verse 11, 12, and 13. How does God protect his own? He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Then you could trip and fall. You should tread upon the lion and the cobra. Young lion and serpent, you shall trample on the foot. 
That's of course always a danger in a desert too when you walk that somehow that, that serpent can, can bite you and hurt you or there can be lions lurking in the bushes. He helps. He provides through his angels. Notice in verse 11, his angels. That means they are under his command as he executes the promise that he has given that he will watch over you he does that through his angels and he gives them charge that means they're under his command he says go there do that and they do it right away obediently and they guard you and they bear you up invisible hands that carry you, protect you, and keep you. That's a wonderful reality, isn't it? And then the psalm ends with the Lord himself speaking. So you have, first of all, a description in the psalm of, of how, how wonderful it is to, to, to know this God. Then we have why we need this. And then we make it personal in verses 9 and 10. And we see how God does it. And now the Lord, he responds. He says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So there the Lord says, yes, I will do it. That protection that we receive it is not just some insurance policy that you can activate as you need it. It is the loving God who personally says, yes, I do this. I, I have set my love upon you. And I use my servants to do that. You can be certain of that. God's promises. Next week, you hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And think about that when you hold that piece of bread. That the promises of God, also these promises are true. Through the work of Jesus Christ. And when you drink the wine, God's promises are true. He says, I have set my love upon you. We go back now that we have seen the whole psalm. Beautiful psalm. Go back to verse 11, for that's our focus this afternoon. What do we learn about the angels here? Well, I already indicated to you, we learn here that angels are servants of God. They are under His charge, under His command, and they do what He tells them to do but also that they have as charge to keep you in all your ways, to watch over you. Now, what kind of watching is that? What kind of guarding is that? What kind of protecting is that? Is it only protecting us against the invisible enemies? For that is also true, as you will read later on 
in Article 12 of the Belgian Confession. There's a host of wickedness out there too who likes to tempt us. And yes, the Lord uses his servants also to protect us against them. But these servants are also involved in more physical things. Think of the two examples that we read first about Elisha and then about Peter. So Old Testament, New Testament. And there we see how, how these, these spirits become visible for a moment in order to give us a, an insight in what God is doing through them and with them. A, a mountain filled with chariots and horses of fire surrounding Elisha, the prophet of God. And an angel leading Peter out of jail and, and, and the chains fall off. The soldiers don't notice anything and the doors just open. God is showing, I protect you. And that is what we need to keep in mind. For you would say, well, it's wonderful to know that this happened. But why doesn't it happen to everybody? Or even with Psalm 91, when you read this. He said, but is this true always? Will I always have a long life? Will it always be easy for me? And maybe you have examples of situations where it is not so. So how do we work with this then? And then again, we have to keep in mind why this is revealed. It is revealed for the glory of God. The Lord allows us a little glimpse into an invisible world so that we know that we can fully trust him. These angels are revealed not so much for his sake as well for our sake to know that we can trust God. The problem is that when we deal with these angelic beings too easily we become so focused on them as if our lives and our future depends on them. And the Lord says, no, I am the one who gives you life. I'm the one who protects you. I notice in Psalm 91, the fact that God uses the angels in no way takes away from the fact that God himself is our dwelling place and our refuge and our hope. What he wants you to know, as you go through this life, with all these dangers that can come, Psalm 91, all these uncertainties that come. He says, I want you to know that you are surrounded by a host of servants whom I have told to watch over you, to guard you. Does God need them to do his work? No. God can do it without these angels. He simply has to speak, and it is. But as God often does, he uses means so that we can understand it better. And it is as if he says, look, I take care of you, and I know you have sometimes a hard time to understand that, so I'm going to show you, in a way, a visible thing, or maybe somewhat invisible, to convince you that I'm helping you. He is pleased to execute his power by means of his servants. And he says, I want you to know that. I provide for you, and I know you question at times, and I know you doubt at times, 
But remember, I have instructed my servants to watch over you. And let that be, then for your reason, to put your trust in me. Guardian angels. Indeed. No, there's no proof in the Bible that one particular angel is assigned to one particular person. In a way, it is much richer, you would say, when the Lord says here, all my hosts of angels I have told, all my servants I've told to surround you. You're never alone. At times it may feel alone, forsaken, difficult. But the Lord says, no, you're not. You're not alone. And that's why Psalm 91 is so beautiful, is so comforting, is so important. So let's go back now again to Article 12 of the Belgian Confession and look at those items that in one sentence are mentioned and consider them in light of what the Bible as a whole says and also then take our lessons from that. Article 12 begins with saying that the angels were created and they were created good. When they were created, we do not know. It's not revealed to us. Must have happened somewhere, but Genesis doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us is that they are also creatures. That even though they're very powerful, they are not almighty. Although they can do things that humans perhaps cannot do, They're not eternal. They are under God. They are servants of God. They're creatures of God. They're under the command of God. And they're good. They're good. That means they will want to do the will of God perfectly. Now, as we think about that, and in light of the Scriptures want to speak about that, then it's interesting that the Bible says little about their nature, but more about their task. It seems as if their nature, what they look like and what they can do, is revealed to us only in as far as it is important for us to understand their task. God has given them a certain nature that enables them to do the task that he gives them to do. So the the, the Bible is more about their task, but yet about their nature. What is it that we know? Well, the things that the angels have in common with us, we're also creatures just like them. We're also under God and called to obey God just like them. And that's what the angels are interested also in, our obedience and our willingness. We'll come back to that. Like us, the angels have personalities. That means they can 
be named by a personal name. We know of great Gabriel. We know of Michael. So they have their own personality. They can talk to each other perhaps. They have their own minds. We also learn from the Bible that the angels have knowledge. They're interested in things. We have a text that says they, they would love to see certain things in which, to, in, in which angels long to look. There was a promise of God's redemption. And they learn. They learn as God's plan unfolds because they have no knowledge of everything by themselves. They're not omniscient because they're creatures. But their knowledge too increases as God unfolds his plan. And they learn and they're intent in that and they rejoice in it. Yes, they can also rejoice and that is too what they have in common with us. We can, with them, praise God. You think of the well-known hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. You read about it in Isaiah. You read about it in Revelation. And sung by the angels. It's sung by all creation. It's sung by us too. And, and so they too can, can give praise to God like we do. They're able to do that. That's what they have in common with us. And then there are also things in which we differ. We differ in that we are children of God and they are servants. And though for the time being perhaps it may seem that we are lower, eventually we will be higher. They're servants. The greatest difference though is that they are invisible, that they are immortal, their number doesn't change. There are no new ones born. It's set. And that they can move in ways that we cannot move. They seem to be not limited to certain physical restrictions that we have. We read in the Bible about, we think of Acts, that angel coming right into the jail there. There's no restriction for him. He can come there. We read about storms, Paul on the boat as he's traveling to Rome and, and the angel of the Lord came to him. So the storm doesn't stop him, it's not hindered by that. So somehow they have an existence that is not limited by what limits us. And they can also be many in one spot at one time. So there's no, no physical restriction in that way either we know that from the opposite side when that one man says that he had a legion of demons in him and a demon is still an angel in that he has the same uh, character of that spiritual invisible nature so when this man says that he had a legion of demons in him in one person came in that manner so they they, they are not limited to us to space and, and as we are, that's what they differ. Now, there are many of them. There are innumerable angels, a host. 
and they have their own organization. And that brings us to what is more in the Bible, and that is their task. That when we meet them, we meet them in the execution of their task. And it's interesting that in the Belgian Confession, one of their first tasks is not mentioned. And that is their task to glorify and to praise God. If you think of the cherubim, the seraphim, you think of the temple worship, and we read about it in Isaiah or Revelation, that the angels are also created to glorify God. It's His retinue. Those are the ones who serve Him, His armies. They protect His holiness. And they're here, they're, they exist for Him. And so we may join them. The second place, their task is somehow involving the relationship between heaven and earth. And that's where often we meet them, that they maintain that relationship that God used angels to show his people of old, to give the law, to do things. Now after the Bible has been completed, they do not bring any more new messages. So in that sense, that task of the angel is finished. And as the Bible is completed, you do not read as much about it, or you don't hear so much about it. That doesn't mean they're not there anymore and they cannot do what they usually do. But because we have the Bible, there's less revealed to us. But we do know that they still are involved in that relationship between heaven and earth. The work of redemption has their focus, has their attention. They're involved in it. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of a church, is also the head of the angels. And he uses his servants to protect his church. And he does it on this earth. He does it also to bring his own home. For when we die, it are the angels who carry our soul to God. That's what they love to do. To bring that unity of children of God with their God. And they also will be involved on the day when the Lord will come back. I read about it in the Bible. That when he will return on the clouds of heaven, who are all involved is angels because they love to see that relationship between heaven and earth established once and for all. And so whenever in the Bible too, that relationship is, is going a step further, we see all these angels. Think of the birth of Jesus Christ. They are the ones used by God to maintain that relationship. And thirdly, they are also tasked, and that's what Psalm 91 says, to watch over us, to guard us, to protect God's children. Now, when it comes to that, again, what I said earlier, I want to repeat, we have to be sober. We don't put our trust in angels, we put our trust in God. 
And we should not exceed our curiosity. But why did God tell us then that these servants exist? Let me give you two reasons. The first one, to deepen our comfort. I mentioned that earlier. God doesn't need angels, but he reveals that he uses them to help us understand how he protects us, that we are safe in his care. I think of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written at a time when the Reformed Church was facing persecution. And they were feeling the the attacks of the evil one. And then also the hymn says, if we would trust in our own strength, we we could not survive. But the right man is on our side. And that is Lord Sabaoth. And that is the Lord of hosts. That is the Lord of the armies of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. He has his armies to watch over us, watch over his people throughout his world who are facing hardships, difficulties, and his purpose will be to preserve that church that he has bought with his blood and to present those for whom he died before the Father. See, Father, here am I and the children that you have given me. The angels are involved in that process rejoicing with each other and with us. Third, secondly, so not only to deepen our comfort, it's also to strengthen our obligation. The Lord reveals what he says about the angels so that we are also encouraged to serve him. I think for the petition, your name, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the Lord Jesus holds the angels in front of us to see how they do it, how faithful they are, how willing they are. That is what I hold as example for you as encouragement to you. And Catechism works it out when it explains that petition that we have to be as faithful and willing as the angels in heaven. And when we are that, then the angels rejoice. And when we repent from going our own way, then the angels rejoice. So they are an encouragement to strengthen us in our obligation. They also are an encouragement to strengthen us to continue to worship God. And that is what we read in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, uh, the letter is written to people who, because of, of hardship, were, were somehow pulling back. Should we still go to church? Should we still serve the Lord? And then the book of Hebrews says, yes, because look how much you have received in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 12, then it also speaks about what the worship service is all about. And that we are coming now not to Mount Zion, uh, not to Mount Sinai, where where God spoke to his people in thunder and lightning and they were terrified, but we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. Hebrews 12, verse 22. And there, the letter to the Hebrews describes what's going on right now, right here. You're not standing at Mount Sinai, but you are at Mount Zion. You are here in the city of the living God. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. And therefore, with us are an innumerable company of angels. As you worship every Sunday and you come together as God's people, guess who are joining you? An invisible host is with us. And with them, we give our praise to God. They are here. Because they want with us to serve God. And so Hebrews says, because they're there with you, you wouldn't want to miss out on it. You better be there too and join. Amen.